You're listening to audio from the Branch Church Milledgeville. If you would like to learn more about our church, what we do, or who we are, please visit tbcmilledgeville.com. If you're located in the central Georgia area, please consider joining us for worship at 730 North Wayne Street in Milledgeville, Georgia, on Sundays with fellowship beginning at 10 a.m. and worship kicking off at 1030. 7 through 50 this morning. John 12 verses 37 through 50 this morning. As you're turning there, uh, hopefully you grabbed a bulletin and, and can see our main point. And the reason I'm starting with this is because oftentimes the main point we might hope to as pastors uh, have it be something that we arrive at. Um, in some ways we may get there today, but it really is more foundational for us as we begin to dive through these verses this morning you will see the common thread of belief. Uh, Predominantly in the unbelief of those that Christ just spoke to. Nevertheless, our, our main point, I hope we can start from this morning, is seeing that true hope in Christ begins and ends with the belief that God is good. There's been... Plenty of characters in our recent sermons through John, specifically the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those that they led, who had a knowledge of God through Christ. They had a knowledge that uh, Christ might be the Messiah, but still did not believe. And Christ performed more miracles, and some believed, but still others did not. Our context this morning, just to paint a picture for us and where we are and John and what's happening as Christ's three-year earthly ministry is closing, he is two days out from crucifixion at the time of our text this morning. This is the fourth day of Passover, and he is on the heels of his last public address of his earthly ministry. After this, he will recede with the disciples. He will break bread. They will have Lord's Supper. Satan is entering Judas now with the plot of betrayal. He will be betrayed and arrested and crucified. That is sort of the pendulum of our text this morning, and we see the unbelief of the people. The reason for the main point this morning is to go ahead and show my cards and see that how this text applies to us today is oftentimes, if not every time, that this life is hopeless or feels as such. It is because we as children of God are not believing that our Father is good. And my fear for us is that we could fit in the same boat and even be passengers alongside the Pharisees of the time that have plenty of knowledge about God, that know he is sovereign, that he is executing all things to his will, and yet we get hung up on not necessarily maybe agreeing with or understanding the finer points of that will, of maybe not seeing how uh, our good could come out of failed class sickness, or maybe even seeing how the courage that we pray for comes from struggling rather than a big, bold proclamation we get to give. The point I'm making is this, is that the Pharisees' greatest downfall along with those that they led was not that they didn't know enough about God. It was not that they did not see him work. It was that they did not believe him and believe that he is good. There is one unforgivable sin, and it is unbelief. 
Every other sin in scripture, every other sin in life can be forgiven. But if one goes their entire life not believing that God is who he says he is and not believing that Christ can save, they will reach judgment day with no defense. And just like the Pharisees will see here in this text, they condemn themselves by their unbelief. For us, our hope from salvation to sanctification now and to our final day in regeneration is hung on the belief that God is good. Not just that he's sovereign, yes, that he's sovereign, but that he is good in his sovereignty. Not that he's working, but that he is good in his working. Not just that he is near, but he is a good father who cares. Our hope rises and falls with this belief, and Christ certainly gives good foundation to never waver in that belief. That is our context for the morning that is also our foundation as we see the antithesis and the unbelief of the people. If you would, join with me in prayer specifically for yourself, those sitting next to you, and those abroad who prayerfully would come to know the Lord and not just have a mental ascension, but would submit their lives to him, that they would act on his grace and that you would also learn from the text this morning that we'll see, it it is a tough text uh, to see the unbelief of the people and this people who have seen miracle after miracle and had nothing left to see as far as wondrous works goes, and yet we're still dead in sin. Pray to that end that we would be pruned and shaped to be a gracious people of God who know full well we don't deserve his grace and yet freely partake. With me? Father, be with us this morning that we would come to know more of you, not just in our minds, but that our hearts would be transformed as well. In the same sense, God, I pray that we would not just feel something this morning in our hearts, but that our minds would be renewed as well, that our whole being would be shaped into the image of Christ, and that we would make that a joyful process by not clinging too tightly to our own hopes or the things of this world, but we would instead hold fast to you. Be with us to that end, as you always are, as you are now, and I pray that we would leave a changed people continuously being conformed to the image of Christ. We pray this in God's name. Amen. Read with me here our text this morning, and if you would, start with me back in verse 35 uh, from last week that it sets the foundation here. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Verse 37 through 40. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. We must begin here by understanding that there was no wondrous miracle left for these people to behold. Functionally, something I feel like is missed just through reading the text is the understanding that Christ was not a sleight-of-hand magician. He was God in the flesh. That there was no workaround for raising a dead man from a tomb with his voice. And that he also did this in the midst of the people. 
He was not up on a stage or far off so that anybody could wonder what was going on behind the scenes. There was no curtain to peek behind. God's glory was on full display through the miracles of Christ. And he had performed, I love the text, so many signs. And yet the people still did not believe. There was no more next miracle that could make them believe out of their hardened hearts. Although their eyes were able to see what was being done and see the hand of God at work, they did not see the arm of God. It was not revealed to them. We must understand here that Christ performed these works not just to save, right? Yes, to save those who would see the arm of God, but to both make God's glory known on the earth and to fulfill his word. Scripture. Understand here that while Christ, uh, perhaps in the midst of the crowd, um, in uh, human flesh, faced uh, their disgruntled behavior, perhaps their persecutions and their jeers, it was not enjoyable, but Christ did not lose anything out of fulfilling Scripture here. I want us to understand that. He did not go after performing a work with his head hung low because all did not pronounce right away. Notice here in the text so that again as Isaiah said in verse 39, therefore they could not believe for again Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. We must understand how important it is to be able to stand on true scripture. And that scripture itself is true. And not just because we say so, and not just because it is collected into this Bible that we believe is inerrant and infallible, but because it proves itself. Hence, Christ fulfilling the prophet Isaiah's words here from Isaiah 6, that there would be those whose hearts were hardened and could not believe. In other words here, the folks that Christ had been speaking to and performing these works in front of were judging themselves before God. This is why texts that say Christ did not come into the world to judge the world because those who would judge themselves as perfect or in other words, not needing of Christ before God already condemned themselves. If you would flip back to John 3, earlier text. John three sixteen. Now, you may know this, but what we'll be looking at is John three sixteen through 19. As the battle between light and dark here in our text this morning hearkens all the way back to this message. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verses 18 and 19 here. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What the people are missing here in this crowd is that in the presence of Christ, there is no room for their own spiritual stature to stand. There, there is no room for their um, tradition to stand, their extra-biblical practices to stand. And as the blind were being awoken, and the leaders were seeing this and continuously tried to snuff out Christ, they were met with the fact that Christ is so fulfilling in his truth that it overtakes eyes, 
of both the mind and heart and wins souls. There is no room for darkness in the presence of light. And Christ's physical presence pushes this out from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those that were following. Isaiah 6 and its reference makes it clear that this crowd is now buried underneath their own sandcastle kingdoms. This was not a foolish people. Let me remind us that these were the highest thinkers, and yet, out of their disbelief in Christ as Messiah, and in doing so, their disbelief in God and sending his son, they were fools. I would bring us to recognize that in today's world, that regardless of the smartest thinker, whether it be Elon Musk or the next genius we don't know about yet, in a worldly sense, they are fools if they do not understand the grace of God and believe. There is nothing to stand on both today and in eternity, if not be the cornerstone, Christ. And while God may use them to expand some facets of the world, if we can go colonize Mars for the kingdom of God, and it's by Elon Musk's journeys, praise God for that. But we must understand that there is nothing that happens, nor anything that comes to be that is not from God, that is not because of God, and goes straight back to him. And those that neglect this are fools before God. Hence, we see the blind leading the blind here, and they're suffocating under the weight of self. That they're met with this true Messiah that did not come how they planned on him coming, on a donkey's back. That does not yet appear as the king they imagined, that would prove them right, but instead came from nothing and is upsetting the powers of the world.